evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Tyler Tischler from Superior Book Promotions in Marquette, Michigan. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 148 in our series. Tonight's topic will be Writing Regional Mysteries with special guest Nancy Barr. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we are on the line with Nancy Barr, who was a transplant to Michigan's Upper Peninsula and grew up in the tiny town of Rapid River, Near Little Badenoch, she earned an associate's degree with honors from Badenoch Community College in Escanaba, Michigan, and graduated cum laude from Lake Superior State in Sault Ste. Marie with a bachelor's degree. Her love of reading and writing led her to a career in newspaper journalism where she spent several years covering police, courts, schools, and local governments for the Daily Press. She was also news editor at the Daily Mining Gazette in Houghton for three years, and currently works at Michigan Technological University, where she earned a master's degree in rhetoric and technical communication. She currently lives on the Keweenaw Peninsula with her two demanding but lovable cats. When not writing, she enjoys hiking, photography, and seeing the Upper Peninsula. Her novel, her novels include the Page One series, which is begins with Hit and Run, Book Two is Vanished, and Book Three. Whiteout. Well, good evening, Nancy. Good evening, Victor and Tyler. Thanks for having me. I appreciate this. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Nancy. Um, I'm I'm interested in uh, starting out by asking you a little bit about um, what made you decide to write mystery novels set in Upper Michigan uh, to write regional mystery novels. I'm, I'm assuming that maybe your your journalism background there and all those police reports and court cases Victor mentioned had something to do with your decision to write mystery novels, but what um, what inspired the decision to set them in the UP? That's a good question. Um, actually, my mother uh, was a huge, huge mystery fan, voracious reader, uh, loved Ellery Queen, Rex Stout Mysteries, um, you know, subscribed to the Alfred Hitchcock magazine. And she died when I was nine. But, you know, my, my first real memories are of her taking me to the library and, you know, setting me up with books and um, just developing that love of reading with me. And I think probably because of her love of mysteries, that's kind of what I got into, especially as I, as I got older. So there was always that interest in puzzles and, um, you know, just, just that kind of thing. I really like the characterization that, that, you know, took place in mysteries. And then, of course... Um, I kind of, obviously, I think I have a natural talent for writing and ended up in journalism. And, and yeah, I would have to say that, you know, covering the, the police beat did, you know, kind of feed that a little bit. But obviously, the books are fiction. Um, I did get to cover a murder trial, but it's not glamorous. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it did feed that a little bit. And as far as, you know, deciding to set the books in the Upper Peninsula, I really believe in that old adage, write what you know. And at first, when I when I started writing the first novel, I created a fictitious town that was based 
on kind of a cross between Escanaba and Marquette. And Escanaba is a, a town of about, a working class town of about 13,000 on Lake Michigan. And Marquette is uh, about 19, 20,000 with a small university, a little more cosmopolitan, a little more artsy. Um, so I kind of combined those two together and wrote the first book like that. When I found a publisher, kind of quite by, um, by chance, uh, if you will, she was more interested in seeing the book set in a real place. So I actually went back and redid a lot of that first book to incorporate, you know, the, the real location of Escanaba and the street town or the street names and surrounding towns and, and all of that. So it was a very organic process, I guess. Could, could you tell us a little bit about what you think were maybe the, the main challenges with writing about Escanaba? I'm, since I live in Upper Michigan in Marquette, um, I think probably um, I have an idea of what some of those challenges are, probably similar to what I did. But in terms of writing mysteries, I'm wondering um, if you were concerned about people's reactions to your to your writing about Escanaba or you know, just what, what other challenges would there be? Oh, sure. There's there's lots of issues that come up when you're writing about a real place in a rural location. Because obviously, you know, if you're writing about Chicago or Los Angeles or Boston, um, you know, there might be specific landmarks you, you make note of, um, but it's not so personal. When you're writing about, you know, somebody's hometown and it's a small town, first of all, it's a balance between getting certain details right but then not including too much information. For example, um, uh, a lot of the um, the scenes where uh, my main character, Robin Hamilton, is meeting up with um, friends or coworkers to discuss cases or stories that she's working on, they're set at um, a little brewery that's uh, kind of near the Daily Press. Well, there is a real one in Escanaba called Hereford and Hops, but... You don't want to use a real business name, um, you know, because you never know really how the owner is going to react to that um, and what if the place goes out of business. So you, you have to muddy that a little bit. But when you're using a real place, you better get your street names right and you better get your directions right. You can't have, you know, Ludington Street, uh, the main street in town, you know, going the wrong way or, you know, having her go, you know, the wrong way down one-way streets or, or that kind of thing. People pick up on that. And the other thing that um, I've actually found kind of funny um, is, especially when the first book came out, a lot of people would come up to me and say, oh, I know who that character is or I know who that one is. Um, for example, uh, in the first book, it's uh, the victim is an accountant who gets run down in Ludington Park. And a lot of people said, oh, I know who that is. That's so-and-so. I've always wanted to kill him, too. <laughs> and the thing is, I was very, very careful to not make any of my characters based on real people. They're absolutely not based on anyone real. But it's been, it's been actually a lot of fun for people trying to guess you know, who these characters are based on. Yeah, so that's, I've had that, that's been a challenge. I've I've had that experience with my books. Um, people asking me, well, what? Since mine are historical novels, you know, I'll have people asking me, well, what house 
do those characters live in? And I said, well, they don't live in any house. <laughs> they're, they're fictional. <laughs> they, there isn't an actual house that they live in. Um, you, you mentioned um, your publisher and how they wanted you to set the book in Escanaba. So could you maybe tell us a little bit about your publisher? I, I believe that Arbutus Press is, is located here in Michigan. So is that like their main thing to have regional books? Yes, exactly. Our Beauty Press is uh, owned and operated by a woman named Susan Bays. Her goal was always to publish books primarily about Michigan, but she has since branched out, branched out to books about mainly the upper Midwest. And I was working as news editor at the Daily Mining Gazette here in Houghton. When she had called up there, she had an author who was going to be in the area uh, for a book signing, and she wanted to see if she could get some coverage for him. And we often did that sort of thing. So I said, sure, you know, go on and send me the press release. While I had her on the phone, I was like, um, well, can I tell you about the, the book that I wrote? <laughs> Which may be a little bit bold. So I thought, well, what the heck, well, I have the opportunity here. And she thought it sounded interesting, so she asked me to send it down to her. But she had told me what she was looking for. So when I sent it down to her, um, I had already made you know, those changes, and I had set it in a real place, because she said that that's more what she was looking for, not so much fictitious, um, you know, settings, but she wanted to really capture the essence of Michigan and the different regions in Michigan, and she has since published, a, a, actually, a, quite a few mystery novels set around, um, you know, various parts in, you know, northern, lower Michigan as well. Okay, if I can ask uh, one more question, Victor, before I, before I let you take over. Um, I'm I'm curious about what, if you have any idea why you think that having it set in a real place is important. Because when I wrote my novels, um, I partly wrote them because nothing had really been set in Marquette before. There were some novels, like there's a children's book, Dandelion Cottage, which is a, is a real place and is set in Marquette, but the author changed the name of the town to Lakeville. And all the other novelists who had preceded me had done the same thing. They had changed the town's name, made it fictional. So I'm, I'm wondering, do you, is that a, do you feel like that's some sort of a trend in, in, the, in terms of regional writing now? Or what, what, is there a reason why your publisher would prefer that? I don't know if it's... If it's a trend, so much, well, well, maybe. I mean, part of it, I think, is a region. What sells a regional book is people being able to make a connection with it. And one thing I hear time and time again from people is, "I love reading about a place that I recognize." I get, I still get lots of emails from people who say, "You know, I love how you describe Escanaba. It makes me feel like I'm back home." Or uh, the second book, there was a good portion of it that it was set up here in the Keweenaw, and I, I've heard the same thing. And that definitely helps sell a book. In fact, when I've, when I've you know, gone out of town for, for book signings and that, people might be looking for something about, um, you know, okay, so it's the one that, you know, has some of the Keweenaw, that sells really well here. Or, you know, the people will buy them because they have um, relatives who now, you know, live in Florida or Arizona or California. And they'll say, well, which one features this town or which one features that town? And they'll make it a point to buy that and send that to them. So that's definitely a selling point. And, you know, definitely publishers are looking for any way they can to find a niche and fill that gap. 
Great. Um, let's just shifting gears a little bit and talking about uh, doing the series. One of the challenges is you never, you can't count on readers starting with the first book. So, how do you have continuing characters without, you know, reliving uh, too many of the details? Um, my characters uh, tend to be kind of an amalgamation of different, definitely different people I've met. Um, you know, uh, just a lot of different experiences. Uh, actually, in the second book, I introduce a character, Aunt Gina, um, who begins to play a pivotal role in, in Robin's life. And she is a kind of, she's physically based on a character I actually saw in a movie that had nothing to do with murder mysteries or anything like that. But she was kind of a quirky character. And physically, I thought she just fit you know, kind of what was in my head. So I'd seen this movie, and she just kind of stuck in my head. And so I aged her a little bit, um, threw in a completely different background, uh, education-wise and career-wise, um, and it just worked. She's actually, I've actually had a lot of people ask me if I, you know, I'm going to, you know, do an additional uh, series or something with this character herself. Um, some of the other characters... Yeah, I mean, that's that's really, I guess, how, pretty much how I come up with them. It's just, they're just a combination of a lot of different traits from people that I've met. Um, you know, uh, I tend to watch how people move and talk and gesture, and I'll pick up on certain rhythms, and, um, and that'll just stick with me, and that'll go into a character um, to help kind of mold and shape that. Great. That makes a lot of sense. Let's talk a little bit about uh, plotting versus characterization. How does that change across uh, different books that you've put together? Well, the first book I wrote, uh, I mean, I'll be really honest, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, certainly I had read, you know, probably at that point hundreds of mystery novels and had a pretty clear idea of, you know, what made for a mystery novel you know, beginning, a middle, and an end, and, um, you know, a build-up, a climax, and, you know, a ex- little bit of explanation at the end. But in terms of, you know, how to throw in red herrings and all of that, I was really, ex- you know, I-, I struggled with it, I, I think, a little bit. And um, I think the first one where I kind of set the stage for uh, life in Escanaba um there's maybe a little bit more character develop and development in that if I'm trying to get people to, um, you know, see Robin Hamilton for what she is, hopefully begin to like her and want to know more about her and her friend Charlie, who's a detective with the police department, and her dad. Um, it's not, you know, there's not a whole heck of a lot of action in there. Um, I never really wanted to write those types of books. But in the second book, it's very heavy on the characterization. That is, it's a mystery novel, definitely, but it's less of a, a murder mystery as opposed to a character mystery, meaning the characters sort of unfold, and um, I think that book is a lot more about people as opposed to events. And then the last book is definitely much more action-packed, and I did that on purpose because I knew that was going to be the last one um, that was going to kind of wrap up Robin Hamilton's uh, phase where um, she's, you know, trying to move on to the next phase in her life. 
So there had to be a lot more action in there because it was bringing in characters from the outside. It was bringing in um, a lot of bad characters, a lot of bad stuff. A lot of um, it, it involves um, drug dealing, drug trafficking, and a series of murders. Uh, so there, you know, by its very nature, that had to be a lot more plot driven. But at the same time, I wanted to balance that with, you know, Robin dealing with some issues in her life and finally starting to move beyond her, her grief. Because in the first book, um, she has actually just come home to Escanaba from working in Chicago after her fiancé has been um, shot in the line of duty. He's a police officer in suburban Chicago. Great. Um, I'm wondering, do you have any uh, historical elements that you introduce you know, as as part of the backstory, perhaps maybe the uh, the history of of the economically of the region or other things to to add local color. A little bit, yeah. Within each of the books, um, I, I throw in little tidbits along the way. But I've never been someone who um, I don't write a lot of expository type stuff. I you know might throw something in. You know, for example, in the second book, she travels around the Western UP quite a bit. So I talk a little bit about, um, you know, what makes those areas tick, why they're still there, why there's people there, you know, how they got settled. Um, you know, Manistique was a, a lumbering community. The Keweenaw, you know, I, I throw in a little bit about the copper mines. And as they're driving through, you know, I, I would point out, you know, um, that they were passing the, the Quincy Mine Shaft that sits on the hill just outside of Hancock. Um, the Calumet Theater features uh, is featured in um, the second book. So I pull things in that way. It's, it's very subtle, though. I don't do a lot, you know, pages of exposition about the history of the area, all of, you know, James Michener. Right. It's not a, you don't start with a, a seed landing in, in, in Hawaii. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, how about dialects? Are you using dialects to bring out the regional color, or do you trend away from that? Do I use what? Dialects. Oh, um, hmm, well, a little bit. But I, 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 one thing I wanted to do with, with my series was avoid the typical duper stereotype. So I didn't do, um, you know, uh, a lot of, oh, what's the word I'm, I'm trying to think of? Um, uh, it's not all Jeff Daniels. Uh... Of, yeah, I, I didn't use a lot of local color in terms of language, you know, a lot of the ya-a's and, and that kind of stuff. I didn't want to do um, the stereotypical youper speak. But what I would do is, um, you know, for example, if she was going to cover a council meeting, she might have a little bit of chit-chat, and it'd be the typical kind of chit-chat you would, you know, hear in a small town, you know, little snippets of gossip, that kind of thing. That's how I would try to build the feeling of what it's like to be a small-town reporter, um, because it is very, living in a small town is obviously very different than working in, you know, a place like Chicago. So that was how I would build a local color as opposed to, um, you know, having real outrageous characters. And I, and I know some people have done that, and that's fine. That's their thing. But I, I just, I, I chose not to, not to do that. The dialogue that, that 
I have in the books, I, I try to have it just keep moving the story forward rather than just keep talking. Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably the wiser choice because I, I, I have a tendency to think not only is the dialogue, the dialect, the Uper dialect um, stereotypical and, and exaggerated, but it's also hard to read. And if your readers are, and you, you probably want to appeal to people outside of the area, and that could be a turnoff for them, I would think. Yeah, um, I would say so. Go ahead. Oh, well, I, you, um, you, we asked you about writing a series, and I was curious, especially with um, the fact that in the, in the first of your books, you talked about how um, Robin Hamilton's uh, fiancé had been killed in the line of duty, and I remember from reading the books, there was like a mystery about that, that you kind of solved in the third book, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and so I'm wondering if you initially you set out planning to write a three-book series, or did you just write one and each one kind of came to you after that? I knew that at some point I wanted to, you know, solve that aspect of her life and have her move on. Whether it was going to be in the third book or the fourth book, I wasn't really sure. Um, but after the second book was written and I started working on the third book, I really struggled a lot with um, what I wanted to do with it. And I played with a couple of ideas, and then I thought, you know, it's probably just time to wrap this up. Um, so once I got a, a feel for what I wanted to do and where she was going, and I know authors say this all the time, but I think there's a lot of truth to it, is that the characters will tell you where they're going if you just, will stop and listen to them as an author and don't try to force them in a certain direction. Um, because it, if, you, if you try to force something, then it feels like, it feels contrived. So it just felt, felt right for the third book that this was going to be, you know, an, an, enough of this phase of Robin Hamilton's life. And at this point, I don't know that I'm going to write any more um, I'm not planning on writing any more page one books. In fact, I'm, I'm working on something completely different right now. But I haven't closed the door on those characters completely. There may be a point where I, I do pick up something with um, Aunt Gina and a character that was introduced in the, in the third book, um, uh, a lady named Crystal, who is a little bit like Aunt Gina in that they're both really quirky characters, but they're quirky in different ways. And I thought it, it might be kind of a lot of fun to, to bring them together. But yeah, right now it's it's just a three book, three book series. Okay, and you mentioned also that like the last one you wanted it to have, be more action packed because it would be the the last one. And I'm I'm wondering um, in terms of regional mysteries, um, like I grew up, uh, the the mysteries I'm most familiar with are Agatha Christie, and they're very much intent on on um, the characters and the, the psychology behind the. The murders, and today when I turn on the TV, there's all these all these crime shows, and they seem much more interested in the the technology and the DNA and all that of the murders, and 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 a lot of the mysteries today seem to be more what you would even call a thriller, you know, the action adventure sort of a, a mystery. So I'm wondering if you like in the spectrum of there, um, where did you where did you fit your books, or because they're regional, did you did you try to stray away from them being really grisly or, or lots of lots of it being a thriller element or you know where where in the spectrum would you would you would you consider yourself 
Well, I definitely wanted to steer away from being too grisly. Um, I didn't want to... I don't like reading those kinds of books, so I certainly didn't want to write those kinds of books. So uh, probably about the grisliest scene takes place in the third book, but it's it's just grisly in the sense that she's describing um, a crime scene, not an actual act or, or anything like that. For, you know, I, I don't really care for real brutal serial killer type books or, or that kind of thing. So I definitely didn't want to do that. And frankly, it didn't fit with the characters. Um, as far as, you know, the, the thriller aspect, you're absolutely right. Thrillers seem to be, you know, the, the, you know, the flavor of the month right now. But I've never really been a huge thriller fan either. I definitely like that characterization. But one thing I did know with the third book is that since her fiancé was still down in Chicago, um, you know, I was going to have to take her out of the Upper Peninsula and broaden the story a little bit to have it... Um, to have it make sense, and I think it worked. Um, I have to say, I mean, it was it was the only book that got national attention. Um, there was a review, a short little snippet in Library Journal. Um, so, you know, I, I did something right with that. Which, you know, it, it, the flip side of that is uh, I don't know if it's so much because it's just such a great book, or if you know if the series had finally started to gain a little bit of traction or if it was simply that it wasn't just set in the Upper Peninsula, that, you know, since I brought it out to something else, that, you know, maybe it it brought in more attention. I'm not really sure. I hope it's not the latter, because I think a great book can be written, can be set anywhere. It doesn't have to be a big city. You know, great books can take place in small places. Yeah, that that's a, a interesting um, a point, because my next question was going to be about... Um Kind of about the the marketing of the book, and um, in terms of like I myself, I've self published my novels, and I've I've my biggest problem with marketing is is to try to reach the readers outside of Upper Michigan, and convince them that the books are are of interest to the general American reading public. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. for you, since you you found a regional publisher, um, have you had much success reaching an audience outside of the outside of Michigan? And do you do you feel like a regional publisher was beneficial to you in, in marketing the book, at least within the region, as opposed to if you had you know published with say one of the big New York publishers? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, publishing these days is it's very turbulent. Um, there are lots of options out there, which means there are there are lots more books out there than there ever used to be. Um, I think the the figure is something like two hundred thousand books a year are published now. So it's very very hard to get attention for your books. Um, one positive thing about going with our Beautiful Press was that. She had a lot of connections within the Upper Midwest and was able to get the books um, reviewed by, uh, you know, some, some pretty good-sized papers, uh, Lansing State Journal, um, Green Bay Press Gazette. Um, didn't make the Tribune in Chicago, unfortunately. But um, she also got the book into a lot of uh, libraries in the Upper Midwest. And, that you know, that's been something that, uh, has actually been kind of surprising in that um, the book is in libraries all over the U.S. And 
Obviously, it's been very popular in Michigan, Wisconsin, but also in Illinois, which which actually really surprised me. I mean, even though she had the character has some you know minor ties to Chicago, um, it's done quite well there. Now, in terms of um, you know, I obviously going with a national publisher might have opened a few more doors for me, but the problem these days is that uh, I belong to Mystery Writers of America and. You know, I, there's a listserv that goes with that. And, I mean, I'm seeing authors who, you know, in the past have been on the New York Times or USA Today bestseller list who are now struggling. So it's a very different market. And a lot of times, you know, even the big New York houses will take you on as an author and they'll publish your book, but they won't give you any marketing support whatsoever. Basically, you're on your own for your marketing. So it may not be the big advantage that it used to be. Um, so it's, you know, as I said, it's a very turbulent marketplace, and ebooks are changing the landscape of publishing. Um, and everybody's asking the same question: you know, how do I get people to start paying attention to my books? And so far, nobody really has the magic answer to that question. I wish I did. <laughs> if somebody did, we wouldn't need to have this show all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, little things. I mean, it seems like the the, uh, the best way to sell books and really the only way that I buy books anymore is through word of mouth. So if you can, you know, obviously through, you know, maybe social networking, you know, somehow just have a buzz, that's the word you always hear, a buzz, start about your books, um, then you start to see the sales increase. And that's why so many publishers really want to see a series as opposed to just one book because if people get hooked on the first one, then they want to see a second one. And then the third one, you know, usually does quite well. And Tyler, you, you know, you've probably seen this with your own book. Mm-hmm. Um, having a series out there really helps. Yeah, and the first of my books that I published is still the one that is selling the best just because people always want to begin with that one before they read the other ones. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Well, great. Uh, Nancy, what advice would you have to someone who's just starting out? If you were starting over, what what would you tell yourself? Oh, well, dream big, definitely. I mean, yeah. You know, if you want to be on the New York Times bestseller list, you want to be the next Dan Brown, go for it, definitely. But also have realistic expectations and be prepared to work very, very hard. No matter how many times, um, you know, people tell, you know, new authors, marketing, 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 it still seems to take a lot of them by surprise just how much time they're going to have to spend on that marketing, on setting up websites, doing blogs. Um, You know, it's no longer book tours. You know, very few people do book tours anymore. But there are different ways of reaching out, um, to the public, uh, and it's all it all takes time, and it takes time away from your writing. But you have to be prepared to do that, definitely. Um, and you know, be, be don't be a slave to the market. That would be the other thing I would say. I know that you know, um, you know, after the Twilight series came out, and Stephanie Meyer hit it big. You know, millions of copies sold. You know, we started seeing all these vampire books, you know, vampire wolves and witches and, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the market is so saturated now with all this kind of stuff. And there's, it's not good. 
there's there's not a lot of good content out there. And we saw the same thing with the Harry Potter books. Um, now we have all these, you know, little um, little sorcerers, you know, uh, showing up in um, young adult books. Uh, you know, don't don't try to time the market. Write what you are passionate about. Believe in write what you believe in that you're going to be that you're going to stay engaged with because if you're passionate about your work, then you're going to be passionate about marketing it. You're going to be passionate when you talk to people about it, and that passion is going to be catching, and people are going to want to buy your book and they're going to want to read it and they're going to want to share it with their friends. Great uh, words to live by. Um, let's hear all of your uh, blog sites and and Twitter and social media accounts for our listeners so they can catch up with you? Well, the best thing to do is uh, I, as I said, I belong to Mystery Writers of America, and um, they have one of their great services is you can go on their website and you can look up, uh, look up my name, and you can find um, a photo there. Uh, I have some blogs in there. I don't. I, I never got into the whole Twitter and Facebook thing. Um, my email is there. Uh, I love getting emails from people. I answer every single email that I get uh, with questions. Um, I I love getting that stuff, and I take the time to answer every one. Um, so just go to um, I think it's mysterywriters.org, but you can just do a Google search for Mystery Writers of America. Go to their website. It's very easy to navigate, um, and you can learn a lot about the mystery community. There's just um, hundreds of, of great authors listed there um, that you can explore and look for some other great books, too. Well, great. Thank you for your time. On behalf of Irene, who couldn't be here, and, and myself and Tyler, it was a lot of fun to have you on. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. This is great. Good. So this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Stay tuned for our next episode, Niche Marketing Your Children's Book, with special guest Ellen Feld. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send your questions and comments to Info at AuthorsAccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And this is Tyler Tischler and Mark Michigan falling in for Irene Watson of Reader Views. And I'm Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.